Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, how are you? I've got some breaking news I want to get to straight away. We cannot dilly. We cannot dally. And Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich is confirmed. Um, it's uh, it's an enormous it's an enormous contract. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann to become Bayern Munich manager next season after successful RB Leipzig spell, says Sky. Uh, Nagelsmann will join on July the first, with Leipzig getting up to twenty five million euros, including bonuses as compensation. That's according to Sky Germany. The contract length is also a new record for Bayern Munich as the thirty three year old thirty three oh, joins the Bundesliga champions on a five year deal confirmed so Nagelsmann to to Tottenham not happening um but apparently Spurs are going after Ralph Ragnick who would be according to Raphael Honigstein an inspired choice Hmm. so the the great the granddaddy of European football thought in pressing might be on his way to Spurs so if you're good if you can't get Nagelsmann this is a very good second option if indeed there's anything to that rumor. The the in-season managerial announcements without yeah. actually making the move. I don't know, it's one of those things it's very hard to wrap my mind around. Well, it if anyone is looking for pointers as to why you know, be, the defeat of the Super League last week was not the defeat of big money football and the problems within football. Bayern Munich is a classic example of this. Look what they've done to neuter their rivals in the middle of the season. They, <laughs> they announced the manager. Okay, there's, this is towards the end of the season. Fine, but they announced that their new manager is coming from a new emerging rival. Very few tears over the RB Leipzig model, you understand. But yeah, and also they're in de- months ago, they were in desperate need of a, a centre-back to start the new season. Oh, we'll just announce we're taking Umpa Meccano. <laughs> from our rivals too. So, you know, the, the vortex, the black hole in German fo- club football that sucks in all talent still remains. But what, what was the situation? It was uh, the, the other time this happened this season was what? Marco Rose going Marco from, Rose, yeah. from Mönchengladbach to Dortmund, right? Yeah. But apparently that's much more common in German football. It, it must be. But like, what if, so Dortmund's future, I mean, their hope is to get back into the Champions League. And what right. if like Mönchengladbach has, has a huge match against Borussia Dortmund that could potentially decide their Champions League fate moving forward? And like, so now Marco Rose, like talk about a conflict of interest because that's the situation he's going to be walking into at mm. Dortmund. So what if he's to like defeat Borussia Dortmund to keep them out of a Champions League place? Now he's got to go in there and manage that team. Like it just, I don't know, the, these, these announcements in season without actually making the move, it just... It all just feels very, very odd to me and a little bit what, unnatural. What, while we're on it, we were this podcast was writing off Borussia Dortmund up until recently, mm-hmm. uh, but Eintracht Frankfurt have had a little bit of a wobble now. Uh, both teams have played 31 points. It's 56 points for Eintracht Frankfurt and 55 points for Dortmund, fourth v fifth there. So maybe Holland will be back in the Champions League next season. That, uh, that race is going to be interesting, obviously the title race. Done yeah. and dusted. He scored a couple over the weekend. It was a, a huge win for them. We have a lot to discuss. Obviously, the, the news you just announced is massive because that's probably the up-and-coming manager in world soccer right now, and, uh, mm. and Bayern Munich have locked them up. So 
uh, a huge get for them to keep their machine rolling. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the stories from over the weekend as the battle for top four in the Premier League continues to, uh, to really burn white hot. Um, a huge win for Chelsea, so we'll talk about uh, some of went on, went on over there. We will do a little bit more, JJ. It's just so weird to think about this time last week. Like we were, we were had done like three podcasts already, and now it feels like I don't know. It feels like such a long time ago with how quickly the whole thing just like exploded and then fizzled. But there is still some fallout to get into from the Super League, mm. uh, so we will do that a little bit later in the show as well. We've got a mailbag. Um, We've got, of course, MLS, which we ha- didn't really have a chance to talk about the opening weekend. Uh, didn't have a chance to even really touch on it. No, I've, I've, got, I've got three things from this weekend, though, that, that I yeah. want to talk about. Um, three little things ahead of, of course, the jump to conclusions week, which will be next week. But even still, uh, there's a few things from this weekend that, that caught my eye on the domestic front. Yeah. So we'll do all that. But l- let's start, JJ, with the first trophy of the English season that was handed out over the weekend. And uh, I feel like we could be sitting here in the year 2094 or whatever, and and like young Bill Guardiola will be collecting Manchester City's 60th consecutive Carabao Cup or whatever the sponsorship will be then. I mean, their their stranglehold over this competition is wild. And it's just, it's so unusual because this is a competition that we're, we're led to believe doesn't mean anything to the big clubs. And yet it's only big clubs that win it. And of late, it's only been the biggest of the moneyed clubs in England, Manchester city to win it. And they do so again, and they do so in just not in the scoreline, but in terms of the, the run of play, the most convincing fashion imaginable. Yeah, this was, this was a dud and it wasn't city's fault. <laughs> city came to play, which was, I, I think was important for them um, in, in, in terms of the way they played the previous weekend at Wembley, which again, we didn't get to talk about where Chelsea looked miles better than them. City were considerably off the pace. Now there were changes to, to the team. Okay. And, and Zach Steffen gave up a pretty poor goal uh, position wise. He was, he was out of position for Ziyech's goal, but, but City played to their absolute potential in this game and, and how it got so deep into the game at just nil, nil. <laughs> like City could have won this it had the potential to get incredibly ugly very early on. And but for some solid goalkeeping from Ugo Lloris, a huge amount of luck and the bravery of Eric Dyer and Toby Alderweireld, it, it could have been it could have been 3-0 at halftime. Um, Ryan Mason came out with the with the squad that a team generally that would have been okay in Spurs fans' eyes, but the midfield uh, I suppose non-selection and in- the inclusion of Winks and and the non-selection of Indombele kind of suggested, hey, we're gonna sit in here, <laughs> we're not gonna be front foot Spurs, and also the fact that there was one moment in the first half where Spurs went direct and knocked it into the channel, and I think they got a corner at the end of it. Um, it was a long. Well, there, there was the one where, I mean, the one that I remember was when Hoybier got it kind of on like the side of goal and. Regulon stopped his run and Hoybier tried to play it to him and it just kind of went that was out of bounds. Half. Like that, that was second? Okay. Yeah, that was early yeah, in the se- right. that was early in the second half, which Spurs started pretty brightly. I mean, it was nil-nil at halftime, but my point was that at no point, like Spurs tried to play through the City press, which was just absolute madness. And, and, and quite a few of the chances City created came through that. But look, um, I, I would have gone a longer game. Honestly, like why not push it up? Yeah, hit I it totally into the agree. Corn- 
hit it in the corners, have your runners at it and, and, and press and give City something to think about. And they never did that. And the only time they really broke the press, I think it was twice in the first half, which is not good in 45 minutes of football, but the ball went through Lacelso. And I know a lot of people were saying he didn't have a great game, mm-hmm. but the only time that they were able to get turned and go at, at City, play through that pace, press, excuse me, was through Los Celso. Maybe. But it was such... I, uh, honestly, I didn't I, think I, much I am, of him. I, I thought, really, Lucas Mora dribbled through it once and yeah, was fouled. Right. I think that might have been the Laporte foul that he was not yellow-carded for, which wound up playing an interesting role later in the game when he scored. Um, ultimately, though, uh, from the top... We'll talk, get to the Tottenham perspective, uh, I guess, in a minute. Uh, but start with Manchester City, because they, of course, are the champions, once again, of this mm. competition. And look, I mean, respect has to be paid... Uh, to this team as their their hope for a treble marches on with the quadruple having faded last week. This is um, the minimum of their ambition, the absolute yes, minimum. that is true. Now, I mean, look, they, they have not officially won the league yet, but they've won the league. So I, I feel like they, I feel like the double has already been achieved for them. And now all eyes will turn to the Champions League. But some of the comments that were made in the wake of this, because it's funny, you say this is the minimum of their ambition. And yet there were some who used this as an opportunity to anoint Pep Guardiola in a way that was pretty eye-opening. Mm. Um, and it came from a voice that we generally trust on this show uh, of Gary Neville, who said in the wake of this that he believes Manchester City may have the greatest manager of all time in Pep Guardiola. That may be true. Uh, beating a, a limp Tottenham side in the Carabao Cup final seems like an interesting time to parade that line out there. But look, I mean, the body of work for Pep is undeniable. 30 titles he's won in 12 years as a senior team coach. 14 at Barcelona, 7 at Bayern, and now Mm. 9 with Man City. And that 9, I don't believe, includes obviously the league title that they have essentially won. So that'll get kicked up to 10 and 31 total. Uh, So, of course, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Just felt strange to me to hear it after this. Yeah, I I don't need to hear it after this. I'm much more likely... To, uh, to have a, a view on, on Guardiola and what he's done from Barca to City after I finished reading a book that's been sent to me. Um, it's the advanced copy. It's one of the few perks of this job. Um, the, un, uh, the advanced, uncorrected, bound manuscript of Simon Cooper's new book about Barcelona. Uh, it's tentatively titled The Barcelona Complex, Lionel Messi and the Making and Unmaking of the World's Greatest Soccer Club. And I've, I've just started it, Andrew. To say it's fascinating is unbelievable. It will be an understatement and I'm excited to get into the Guardiola part of this book. And it, it, by the way, it's not, it's, it's not overly, you know, inaccessible. It's not a big tome. We're going to deal with Cruyff. We're going to deal with all the key, key players, Tito Villanova, Ferran Soriano, at, at, at Man- who's at Manchester City right now. The whole thing. I can't, I, I've just started it and it's like I'm, I'm rationing it, it out because I, I can't, I can't take it in too quickly and then be done with this book. I also can't talk about this book. I'm, I'm yet. We have to have really because it on. seems like all you're doing is talking about it. I know, but I can't talk about the detail in this book yet. That's not appropriate. But um, hopefully, we'll have Simon on to talk about it when it's launched in August. Um, but I, I honestly, it, this is an inane comment from Gary Neville. I, you know, that it, it is not the time for legacy pondering it really isn't where does he sit in the in in the pantheon of great managers a carabao cup win over over no 
I mean, that, that would have been like asking it last season when they hammered Watford 6-0 in the Cup or whenever that game was. That, was that the season before? Can't even recall. This is not the time for that. Maybe it's not fair to ask this of him because he does have Champions League trophies under his, under his belt. Um, but I don't know. I kind of feel like I need to see him do it with Manchester City or at least get to a final. But, but I mean, we can easily make the argument then that if he does that, that is what you expect him to do with a project like Manchester City, the most expensive and vastly financed project in the history of football. He, of course he should that. The same pressure we put on PSG to be doing what they're doing. This is, yeah. um, uh, there, there, there's always going to be this mark against these managers. You're always going to look at your, the great managers. You know, Ferguson is still going to be ahead of Guardiola. I, is he still going to be ahead of Guardiola? I don't know. I don't know. But it's not the time for this conversation. It really isn't. No. I, I, well, I don't know. It could be. We can do it whenever we feel like it. Um, But uh, yeah, look, you're right. The game itself, I don't have too much more to say about it. It was pretty cut and dry. Um, From the Tottenham perspective, you mentioned it a little bit, but Tengi and Dombele, to me, he's just got to play. As long as he's healthy, he's got to play. He's the only player on this team right now who can consistently hold on to possession of the ball. Um, and, And God, did they need that because it seemed like every time Tottenham did get the ball back, they were swarmed by Manchester City players and they couldn't break out of their own half. The, the entire game was spent in their defensive end of the field. And, you know, and Dombele is a guy who can help with that. I know some people were critical, you as well, you one of them who texted me um, about Bale, how worthless it was for him to come on. I, I understand that because you know, be, be, what we saw, the results are what they are. He came on and didn't really make an impact, but like, the way I see it is there are some, there are some things I will criticize Ryan Mason for in this bringing on bail at that point is not going to be one of them because clearly I think we saw up to that point in the game, the only way Tottenham were going to win was a moment of individual brilliance and bail can do that. You know, maybe not to the level that he could five but years he can't, ago, though. but, but, but he can, and we've seen him do it this season, but he can't when you but don't have has. the ball, but, but when you don't have the ball, like, but, don't, but that's the thing. If you, you may only get one chance. You may only get accessory. one moment. And, and Harry Winks is not going to provide you with that moment of brilliance. In that one chance, Bale has a, a better likelihood of doing it than any of these other guys. Sissoko, you know, Winks, whoever. Like, it, so I'm okay with that because you just never know. One long ball breaks to him and he can fire one from 30 yards and score. We've seen him do it. So like, I, I'm fine with that. It, again, in the end, it didn't work. Um, but nothing did. So I, I'm okay with at least having him out there for the last okay. you know, 25 minutes of the game. I don't have much else to say about it. So it is what it is. Tottenham, you know, after, um, after the game, they looked particularly dejected. Son was in tears on the field. Um, you know, Kane, they, they all looked truly heartbroken over this. And it was interesting to me because in a vacuum, losing 1-0 to Manchester City, uh, in a season where your team has struggled mightily, in a week where your manager was fired, uh, where the Super League distraction, all of that that's happened, like in a vacuum, this is not a loss that is shocking in any way, shape or form. It really it made total sense. In fact, it was almost heroic that they only lost by one. But this, as many things, JJ, does not happen in a vacuum. And seeing the reaction of the players out there, I wondered to myself as a fan if they kind of knew that this was the end, that this was their, for whatever meaning or lack of meaning this trophy has for a lot of teams, for them, this was one final chance to validate this era in terms of silverware. And it's almost like they know it's over, that a rebuild is about to occur. Kane is going to be gone. 
Um, you know, who knows what fate is ahead of others. Hugo Lloris, there's talk about him leaving. Um, it just felt like maybe this was the end for them and maybe they, they knew it. Yeah. I, I, I also think as well, it was the first time that that fans have been back in the stadium in in any kind of real significant numbers. And, you know, as much as we don't talk about it, there is a performative element for players. Uh, there is um, a mode that we click into when you lose a game. I say we, I'm not, I'm not a player, but I'm, I, there is a mode we see them, we see them click into. And, um, and part of that is, is dejection. Part of that's also fatigue. It's, it was a long week for Spurs. Never mind, <laughs> never yeah. mind a long season. Um, and, and the wisdom of sacking Jose Mourinho in the week of a cup final, I think it's worth, it's worth, um, it's worth investigating whether that was the right thing to do. But this is also the, the board that put Mourinho in charge in the first place. Yeah, I, I do think it's, uh, it's probably dawning on Harry Kane in particular that this is over. His luck in cup finals as well is pretty wretched. And um, yeah, and, and there's, there's so much uncertainty in general uh, surrounding this Spurs squad. And it makes me think that they, if they are going to get Ralph Ragnick, they need to get it over the line fairly quickly because they're not going to want to hemorrhage as much as like, they're going to, they're going to make a pitch to son right now at his age. Like son is staring down the barrel of his last major move or major contract. Mm -hmm. And maybe not his last major contract, but certainly his, a move is off the, is less likely. A big move is less likely. Um, if he re-signs with Spurs for another few years. So I don't know what happens there. I actually don't know the details of his contract, but um, he might be looking at it thinking, this is prime time for me to move on to. So I don't know. The, de the dejection comes with the territory. Yeah. Uh, last bit on this from their perspective. So looking at them in cup finals, you know, this was horrifying from a, a, how they performed. Mm. Their last cup final that they were in, obviously, was the Champions League final against Liverpool, which was also si pretty similar to this in terms of their performance. It was, it was really, really bad. Um, the difference was Liverpool weren't all that much better that day, so it may not have looked quite as bad. Terrible final. Um, but it was, it was, they were not much different than this. The final before, uh, what was it, Tottenham-Manchester United, I believe also was a 1-0 where they were not very good. We talk a lot, we joke a lot on this podcast about the idea, the, like the ethos of Spursy. Uh, is it a thing? You know, Heritage. I, I Heritage. Kinda, <laughs> right. I kind of, you know, I always rip, Chiellini for his it is the history of the Tottenham you know and I get mad at him about that and I say it's not true um, but I think it is true like I, I think I actually believe it I can't help but look at this the this repeated performance level in cup finals and just wonder if like the weight of the previous ones if these players feel that, if they, if they're somewhere in their subconscious that does think about those kinds of things and in some way inhibits them from performing at their best, uh, because like so, the, the, some, you know, players change, managers change. It was Pochettino, you know, Mourinho didn't get them in a cup final. So I guess I have to not include him, but now it's Ryan Mason. Like there's different characters out there performing, but like, nothing changes. It's still the same type of performance. And you just wonder like if, if there is something in there that just kind of like is Spursy about them in these moments. There was a, an old man who uh, used to go to the 
the bar where my father used to go for drinks on a Friday or Saturday night. And when my dad would take me to the pub when I was a little older, we'd go in there after Sligo Rovers games. And he was just a football savant. He remembered everything. And he'd watched the English game for years. And you know what his stock phrase was about Spurs? Oh, they're a good cup side now. They'll do a good, they'll go on a good cup run, but they won't win it. <laughs> so, th- so the point was that, you know, Spurs were good for a run in the cup. I mean, that's pretty much what they've been since Bill Nicholson. Now, they did win it in 91 under Terry Venables, but it was a Des Walker own goal that, that sealed it for against a team in, in Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough, who had zero luck in FA Cup finals. But, but the point is, yeah, that, that kind of that aura surrounds this team uh, and it's not going to be lifted anytime soon. I have a quick bit of trivia before we get off this game because we, we do need to get off this game. Um, Zach Steffen, only the fourth American to win the League Cup. Can you give me the other three? All right. Uh, John Harks. Yes, with whom? Um, Sheffield Wednesday. Right. Not Sheffield United as Sports Illustrated put down. Ridiculous. Next. Next two are goalkeepers. So uh, all right. Keller. Correct. With Leicester City. And Tim Howard. Incorrect. Friedel? Brad Friedel with okay. Blackburn. Managed by Graham Sunis, I believe. So there we go. Thank you for that. <laughs> Never been on the other side. No, it's not. You taste your own medicine there, my buddy. Uh, let's see. We move on, JJ. Some other stories from over the weekend. Things in Spain are getting unbelievable in terms of how the uh, Liga race is playing out as Barcelona now controlling their own destiny. Um, it's It's been an incredible turnaround, obviously, that we've Called talked it. about. The, the, the collapse from Atletico Madrid uh, has, has been legendary in its own right. Now, it hasn't obviously come to fruition yet. We have to see how this all plays out. Um, but it just... If I'm power ranking the three in this race, I just almost feel like Atletico Madrid can't win it. And I, maybe I'll come back to eat my words for saying that, but it just like this, this inertia that's heading in this direction for them. It's just hard to envision them just suddenly putting a stop to it and rebounding the rest of the way. They still play Barcelona. So obviously, you know, much could be decided there, but right now uh, I think I saw the SPI JJ and it's weighted heavily in Barcelona's favor. Um, I don't remember the exact number. But Those for- two games in hand are huge. They're absolutely huge. Um, but but the, just look at the weekend now. Bilbao beating Atleti. Um, so when Savage equalized for, for Atleti, you would have expected Atleti to, to, to push on, maybe grab a winner or at least take a point. And then they just did something, Andrew, that is... I mean, Simeone must be going crazy. Uh, Inigo Martinez just steals in completely unmarked. If you watch the goal, like it's a brilliant header. He attacks the ball so well, but there's no one even close to him. No one picks him up and there's enough bodies there to, to at least get in his way. Um, and, you know, La Liga TV or whoever, whoever runs the, I guess it's BN or whoever runs the, the pictures, the TV company panned to all the faces. Andrew, they were there. They were literally and figuratively defeated. There was defeat on their faces and, you know, Simeone on the sideline, just this blank expression. It's as if what you said is the truth, that they can't win it now. And in their heads, maybe that's the case too. Um, I was reading Marca, as I do. After the game, uh, Diego Simeone assumed all responsibility for the defeat and was singled out by Manny over some of his decisions in the game. 
Simeone said, it is clear that if this happens again, it is more a coach's problem than the team's. When a coach does not find a solution to this situation, something is wrong. We will try to improve, um, which is kind of taking the responsibility a bit, but also not. Um, I think no, I have he, no problem with a comment like that. I don't think he's necessarily passing the buck. No, he says it is clear that if this happens again, it is more a coach's problem than teams. All right. Well, one of the selections that he was uh, criticized for, he started Thomas Le- Lamar, Joe Felix, um, both coming back from injuries and there was no kind of rhythm in the attack. But um, yeah, Barcelona have a game in hand, not two games in hand. I, I misspoke there. Hmm. I wonder yeah. if it's particularly bitter for Atletico Madrid because they lose to Bilbao. Um, but in Barcelona's win, who is it that scores the two goals to give Barcelona that victory? But Antoine Griezmann, who after a rocky start at Barcelona is now starting to come into form at the exact right time that they need him most. And, you know, yeah. and the, the bitter battle that was waged over his transfer from that, from Atletico to Barcelona. And now Which is the, the hand that he's playing in possibly giving Barcelona the title. And it's flipped the story on its head because for much of the season, the story was Suarez's resurgence and his like one man revenge mission against Ronald Koeman and the board of Barcelona. So it's, it, it's, there's still a lot to play for. It's still very interesting. Oh, yeah. but oh my God. Madrid, Madrid uh, sorry, Atleti give this sense, like you said, the aura of defeat is just, is just seeping from them right now and that this is actually over. One thing I, I do wonder, I don't know how deeply we need to go into this, but like, there's the sense that it's a three-team race. It's really, not, it's really a four-team race. Sevilla are within three points yeah. of Atletico Madrid. And they've um, won their last five games. You know, to climb back we, into this. So re- I mean, re- really, we, we shouldn't just disregard them in this. No, they, they have the best form of those teams right now. Um, but watch how we will. By the way, there's 17 points between Sociedad and Sevilla right now, which is quite the gap. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a fascinating title race that uh, we'll, of course, closely monitor as that continues. Let's go now to England, JJ, where the battle for the top four remains intriguing. Um, it's a, a huge win for Chelsea. This, this run under Tuchel with, you know, a, a, maybe a minor exception here or there has really been impressive. And it was an important game for Timo Werner because he, he gets the goal for them. Although really it's funny. I mean, the pass from Ben Chilwell, we always say not all assists are created equal. It's an amazing pass that Chilwell makes between defenders for West Ham that kind of just like, it's like a heat seeking missile that just sort of finds yeah. Werner's foot and he tucks it in. I mean, like, it, obviously, it's it's a huge lift for Werner to score that goal. But in watching the whole game, he he really should have had a second. But um, but that seems to be the case with him. Even in the uh, in the cup semi final the weekend before, like it was the Timo Werner show. But you know, he could have had. He didn't score. He could have scored a lot. You know, he could have had maybe a hat trick in that game too. But he's finding his stride, Andrew. And again, I, I don't want everything to reflect badly on Frank Lampard. That's that's not that. He's one of my dear friends in football. Um, he's an FIF. But, but uh, you know, Chelsea seem to have found a way to use this incredibly quick player who can get in behind defenders in, in, a, in a, a pretty kind of economical fashion. You know, they can soak pressure and it's a ball in behind, a ball that even you or I could play and Timo's away. You know, they, they, they found his strengths fairly quickly, whereas 
the minute he didn't score against Arsenal in that defeat, Frank Lampard was done with him. Like, like what can I do with this guy? Um, now, I read a stat, JJ, about Werner. You know how sometimes you come across stats that like you're just not sure that it can really be true. You've got to read it like three times to make sure right. you read it right. I read one about Werner that I felt that way because the narrative of this season for him has been, what what would you say, disastrous? Like, you know, oh, one, it, among it, the worst transfers in the league so far this season. Um, but at ESPN Stats and Info, they say that Werner has 20 goal contributions this season in all competitions. That is the most of any Chelsea player, and it's also the most of any German player in the Premier League, uh, including Ilkay Gundogan. It inches him out by one. I would, not have, I would not have thought that. Um, but so be it um, I, across all competitions. So I guess I can't, it, you can't say it's been a total failure if that's the case. Close your eyes now. And what do you think of when you think of Timo Werner? Go first thing into your head. Um, a, a guy kind of like looking up to the heavens in frustration. That's what you see. Yeah. yeah the minute I, when I see him now, I see him streaking away like in a sprinter mode with the ball in front of him and space, green grass. That's what I'm seeing re- regularly now. And that's exactly what Chelsea wanted. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, um, one one other, big incident. Uh, we'll, one big incident. Yeah, go ahead. You're probably going to, we're probably going to talk over each other on this one. Uh, Fabian Balbuena mm-hmm. um, sent off for, as uh, Nicholas Mendel put it on NBC, I sent trotting <laughs> on the calf of Ben Chilwell with the follow through of a big clearance. Uh, this this goes into classic games gone territory. It was such a ridiculous call, um, and also just goes to show you slow motion in soccer does not rectify anything. It distorts. Um, he's following. He's following through. He's he's belting the ball away, and as one uh, somebody tweeted, what was he supposed to do? I think it was Adam Crafton. Detach his leg in between the time he kicked no, the ball. It was ridiculous. It was crazy. I'm, look, I'm, crazy. I'm sure it hurt quite a bit. Like it doesn't lessen uh, the pain for for Chilwell. Like I'm sure you know it, it did look bad, um, but, but it's, it's not a red card. Like I just don't know what. Like like everyone has said, what what is he supposed to do? Like yeah. this is the, talk about natural movements. Um, yeah, I there was nothing clearly nothing malicious in it. Uh, and I just don't know why these guys feel so compelled to change their initial call uh, in situations like this. It just, there's can't they see what we're all seeing? Like, I don't, I just yeah. don't understand it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't either. And it's, um, I mean, you can have the argument of the way VAR is used in the Bundesliga, the way VAR is used in MLS versus the way VAR is used in England. And I, d- I don't really want to go down that road, but whatever this is right now is just not working. Well, Merrick Paulson went down that road. I mean, he, he spiked the ball in an unbelievable way. Oh, he tweeted, big he, flex from Merrick. Ooh. I'll say this. I'll read his tweet here. He said, EPL pundits who dislike VAR should watch a replay of this Orlando City, uh, Sporting Kansas City game to see how amazing the tool is. Four for four and getting key goal decisions right and fast decisions every time. VAR was never the issue. How it's used and who is using it is MLS and the professional referees organization get it right. Oh, well, Um, if Merrick Paulson says it, then it must be true. Well, he's not the first one to say it. We've talked about it on this podcast before. Well, I mean, when we were going through our initial growing pains with VAR in the Premier League, we would sit here and we would say, look, we've we've been watching it in MLS for years now. And like, we haven't had podcasts that we've come on here and gone crazy about it. Like, it does feel to me that the Premier League is using it in a way that is detrimental, whereas other leagues, MLS 
chiefly among them are not. It doesn't feel like an invasive part of MLS when you're watching a game. It feels it feels helpful. And in the Premier League, it's clearly not been that. Uh, so they got to spend some time and just study, okay, what are these leagues doing that we're not? Because they're they're getting it wrong. Um, the, the one other thing I wanted to say about the Chelsea game, don't have much on it. This is just from like watching him over the course of the season. Uh, I don't know what you would say about this, but to me, Mason Mount is, he's like leveling up now. Like, I feel like he is now playing at a level where he is like the way we've been talking about Phil Foden for the latter portion of the season. I feel like Mason Mount is a player who is, who is kind of doing similarly. He does different things than Foden. Um, but the way he has just made himself central to Chelsea's attack, his ability to like generate shots from seemingly nothing. Uh, he's a guy, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about Christian Pulisic. We've spent a lot of time talking about Werner's struggles. Sometimes Mount slips between the cracks, but I think when it's all said and done, we'll be really impressed with the season that he's had for Chelsea. He's a guy that I, I would, I think pretty highly of moving forward. Yeah. Frank's boy has blossomed yeah. under uh, not Frank. Yep. Uh, let's see Liverpool, JJ, they squander a big opportunity against Newcastle. Um, mm. You know, one goal against Newcastle with that four of Mane, Firmino, Salah, Jota, all healthy. Um, you know, it's, we've talked about drop points, Tottenham, how it's changed their season. What about Liverpool? Quietly now, that's well, 15 points dropped from winning positions this season for Liverpool. That's four more than they had over the last two seasons combined. It feels like all of like the good fortune that they had the last couple seasons, it's all caught up with them this season. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it, it's it's also a case like uh, you know our, our mutual friend Tom Fitz was saying. Well, you know you don't blame injuries, but uh, because you know the injuries were at the back, and we had all our our, our forwards fit and available this weekend. Uh, if you're gonna squander chances like they did, and you know you don't have a defense that's gonna <laughs> gonna take carry you through it to a one nil, then you're in trouble. And Newcastle did create chances getting in behind that those those centre backs for Liverpool. I mean, from the 30th minute, you could feel it. You could feel it because this season has been the way it's been. You're like, we need a second here. It's uh, this was the most frustrating for me because Liverpool actually played well. It wasn't one of those games, you know, where there's endless crosses going in and you just feel as if, you know, because there has been games where Liverpool really haven't created that much. They've had a lot of the ball, but didn't do much with it. This was the opposite. Sadio Mane's confidence is just, I mean, he wasn't the only one with glaring misses. Um, You know, Salah was guilty too. But Mane, unbelievable. And then you have no goals, no goals from midfield. None, none whatsoever. I mean, the last one goal from midfield must have been Genie Wijnaldum. You add that all together, we left Newcastle in the game. We couldn't defend. I mean, honestly, Andy Robertson was right. The first Callum Wilson goal, it's a stupid rule that doesn't allow that goal, but whatever. Like, when, when that went in, if, if VAR had somehow ruled in our against us in that, I would have had no complaints whatsoever. And then you're staring down the defeat, uh, 2-1 defeat, not a 1-1 draw. Um, they, Newcastle scored twice, really. After the 90th minute. It's, it's what made the second goal all the more shocking is that like with Newcastle, they generate so few opportunities that like once it hit the 90th minute, you're thinking, okay, the, they maybe have one more chance in them. And when it comes and they score and it's disallowed, it just feels like all the wind is now released from their sails and it's Liverpool's been let off uh, through VAR. The fact that they did it immediately after again, 
is is it's one of the shocking finishes of the season. I think that that Newcastle could generate that twice in a, in a two minute span after the 90th. Minute. Andrew, it was the it, it's the most recent Liverpool game. Like I've kind of been numbed to some of the things that have happened over the last month. I'm like, oh my god, last couple of months. I wanted to put my foot through the television. Oh, I'm I want, sure. It was it was and it was so early in the morning and like I you know. I've told you before in this podcast when I live when I used to live in Bay Ridge, my lovely neighbors who were just the nicest people once had to say, you know, the cursing in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you got a young they had a young son as well. And they were so nice about it. They're, they're, by the way, there is a way to be a good neighbor, you know, to make a point forcefully without being a D nozzle about it. And those, I miss them so much. They were so so understanding um so i've tried to be I just, a better i mean that game ended and about 30 minutes later i was just sort of thinking to myself i wonder i wonder where in brooklyn jj is walking right now i i went for a walk of course you i did. literally i went for a walk and i called my father and uh, i was hoping because i want to be upbeat with him he's an older guy you know he's he, he likes to you know I, I don't have a downer conversation but there were recriminations just recriminations <laughs> um yeah there's, no, there's nothing else to say about this game. Nothing else to say. I have except, one more thing to say about it. Uh, oh, for, how dare you. For Joe Willock. So how about this? I mean, you may, you're, you're kind of a Liverpool encyclopedia, so you're prob- you may even be aware of this. But at 94 minutes, 58 seconds, JJ, that's the latest goal that Liverpool have conceded at Anfield in the mm. Premier League ever to drop points. Wow. Ever? They, it, to, in a game where they drop points. So Robin Van Persie in 2011, ha- he scored one later. It was like in the 97th minute, Got but it, it didn't yeah. cause a point swing in the game. Um, this, was the, this was the latest goal that they have allowed at Anfield in the Premier League era to drop points. That should have been juicy stat of the week, Andrew. <sighs> brutal. That is brutal. And, and it may be what keeps them out of top four this season. Um, We're going to need had some a, help had a bunch like this, but yeah. Yeah, they certainly will. A um, couple other quick ones. Don't have much to say about it, but in, in his first game in charge, Ryan Mason did get a no win more. for uh, for no. Tottenham. That yeah, kind of no keeps, them, no more keeps them in the race. And then Everton still in <laughs> with a shout uh, in this battle here, thanks to Burnt Leno's uh, blunderous own goal. Can we, can we talk about Leno for a second, Andrew? Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain truths in football speak, things that you say that, you know, they're regular comments, and I feel this is one of them. If you were in a bar watching Arsenal, and it's pre-game, and you see that Leno is starting, and you're you're just having a, a casual chat with your friend or or someone you've just met, what's the football speak you'd you you'd use to describe Leno? I'm I'm wondering if we're in simpatico here. Like I, I don't know why why are ro- we playing mind games? Just tell me. No, a rote comment. I, the, I would turn around to it and I would just casually say to you, as easy as breathing good keeper always seems like there's a mistake in him yeah kind of like i feel like things we'd say about the guy who was across the field from him maybe a year or two ago in jordan pickford yeah so i had a look at that um so leno joined arsenal this is from planet football from leverkusen in 2018 and endured a difficult debut season at the emirates making five errors leading to goals in 32 Premier League appearances. The Germany international managed to overcome that difficult start and has made just two more errors over the last one and a half years. You can make that three now. And we've got to the point where uh, Unai Simon of Athletic Bilbao is apparently in the crosshairs of Mikel Arteta 
another callow, pale, trendily shorn Basque youth who will cost upwards of $50 million, and he's a goalkeeper. This couldn't go wrong. It has never gone wrong before, Kepa Aritzabalika. So apparently they're, they're sounding out a replacement. It's in all the Spanish papers. It's in a couple of English tabloids. Um, I went on FB Ref, Andrew, mm-hmm. and I great had a look site. at... It's a great website. And they do one of the best things they do is the player comparison. So Unai Simon versus Bernd Leno, they have just this season now and just in the league. So they have matches played. Unai Simon has 32. Bernd Leno has 31. And... Um, so goals against per 90, Leno has 1.14, Simon has 1.06. Their save percentages, Simon has 65.9, Bernd Leno has 67.9. There's not a, there's not a ton in it. Um, Leno has 76 saves made, uh, whereas Unai Simon has 85. And goals against per 90 minutes... Um, or save, sorry, excuse me, shots on target against uh, 85 for Unai Simon and Leno has made or has faced rather 106. Hmm. Clean sheet percentage, 25 for Unai Simon, 29% for Bernd Leno. There's not a ton in this. Now, one goalkeeper's 28 and one's 23. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making that move right now. The stats, just this single season stats over similar minutes played. I'm not sure. Goals against, by the way, 34 goals conceded by Unai Simon, Simon 35 by Bernd Leno. Not much in it, Andrew. Do you have more stats that show us that there's not much in it? No, I'm just talking. I'm, I'm giving Arsenal fans food for thought. Okay. You know, before they go after this, like I said, Callow, pale, trendily shorn Basque youth. Who did you? Who wrote that? that line? I did. It's my it's line. I, callow, pale, trendily shorn. I mean, who do you think you are? Sorry. Look at players, young players that come from the Basque region, and they are callow, pale, and trendily shorn. And some of them are on the bench at Chelsea. Does the story JJ of uh, the the owner of Spotify, the founder of Spotify, Daniel Ek, putting together a group to buy Arsenal? Does it does it mean anything? I mean, Stan Kroenke said he is not selling. Now, anyone can say that. When the money is actually put up in front of him, will it be enough to to lure him to leave? Has uh, Josh Kroenke or Stan Kroenke seen the protests? They don't I mean, care. They, they were unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, how and and if if this if this continues to kind of to spread amongst Arsenal fans, when fans are back in the stadium, it could be uncomfortable watch for. Um, for the team, and if the team starts to be affected by it, um, Spotify, another billionaire replacing another billionaire. Does this a billionaire who says he supports Arsenal, a billionaire, mind you, that you know a lot of people say has work to do in his own area in terms of equal distribution of money. A lot of a lot of artists on Spotify would say that, have said that. I don't know. He well, seems he's not American, so uh, he's Swedish. That's a thumbs up, definitely. So there's that. <laughs> that. That's a bonus, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't anticipate. I mean, in, look, in terms of it's another billionaire buying from a billionaire, what did we think was going to happen? Like that that's all that that's all there is now. Yeah, I know, but Arsenal fans, I'm just I mean, I mean, he says he's a supporter. Okay, great. But like what 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 does that mean? You know? So you I mean, you're not wrong to think this, but your approach to this is is as the who once said, meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. Yeah, I think billionaires have certain things in common with other billionaires, and it's not necessarily the interests of what the Arsenal supporter groups think. It's, it's a desire to be an even higher level of billionaire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they trade it all in for a little more. For a little more. Uh, that's about it for EPL. Um, quick one. Just a quick one. Yeah. Big win for Leicester over Oh, Crystal yes. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it really was because quietly Leicester were becoming a part of this race. Uh, and that, of course, gives them a little bit of breathing room. And a padding, four points of padding between them and Chelsea. Also quietly, JJ, we probably need to start talking about the impact that Kalechi Iheanacho is now making for Leicester City. Because he's been absolutely massive to them maintaining this spot in the table for as long as they have. Do you remember when he was at City um, and we read off some stats from, I think it was Michael Goodman who just said his XG was so high whenever he played and that if, and, and we were like, when he went to Leicester, we thought this is a great move for them. Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the, what's the thing that stuck in our mind since he made that move, his miss, his miss for Leicester at, at Manchester city, which could have, uh, could have handed the title for to Liverpool or, or maybe it would have helped or whatever. But in that game where, where company scored the long range belter and now he's turned that round and he's beginning to show what me and you and Michael Goodman always knew. There was this, there was a player in there, Andrew. Yeah, he's been he's been excellent of late, and it's really it's been massive for Leicester. That was a, a huge win for them yesterday, coming from behind to do so. Uh, let's see. All right, JJ, it's MLS time because it's back. Didn't get a chance to talk about it last week with the uh, Super League craziness, although we did mention the possibility of a Super League reforming with uh, MLS clubs involved. Although shockingly, that didn't really get much attention um, <laughs> worldwide. Uh, so just a few next week, like you said, is when after the third game is when we do our jump to conclusions week. But in terms of some initial impressions, uh, mainly from this past weekend, but I have a couple here. The first one, uh, I just wanted to mention Cade Cowell for San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, wow. Hello there, young man. 17 years old. When I, the last place that I worked, JD, there was a woman who I always hear her voice with lines like that, who used to always say to me, hello there, young man. What do you do here, young man? Young man, what do you do here? That's how she spoke. That's what I was thinking when I was watching Kate Cowell. Hello there, young man. 17, won't turn 18 until October. What the hell? Was she from the 1950s? Yes, she was very unusual. She was an unusual Was her name Murgatroyd? I never actually got her name. She was like an elderly producer um, for Hmm. some random show. Uh, But for San Jose over the weekend, Kate Cowell, had an amazing assist to Christian Espinoza. Uh, and then like at 17, that probably would have been enough for me to have seen that game and seen him and thought, wow, there's a, that 17 year old is a player. But then 10 minutes later, he scores a great goal, tight quarters, surrounded by defenders in the box, tough angle. Um, you know, I was reading about him a little bit after this game. Cause I was just like, so taken with him. And, you know, uh, Matias Almeida is going on and on about his work ethic, you know, how, how he's kind of like, that's important to years Almeida. In, yeah, it is. And it's important, certainly for a 17 year old uh, to you know, ha- kind of bring that level of maturity. So American fans out there who are just looking for new names to kind of put on the radar, I would say this is this is now another one 
because um, Cape Cowell was brilliant for San Jose over the weekend. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about an old man, Chicharito, scoring at a rate of naught. He's got uh, five goals in two games, a hat-trick at the weekend in the win over the New York Red Bulls, the comically bad defensively New York Red Bulls, which um, I will talk about more next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicharito backometer. Andrew, can we order a backometer for Chicharito? Of course. And um, I think the, 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 issue, <laughs> the issue for me, a lot of these goals were scored from centimeters outside of the goal line. So, but it's what he's supposed to do. Um, I'm, I'm not all in on this yet. I don't think it's sustainable, but right now he's back in the picture. Um, big time, five goals, two games, can't deny it. And, um, I wonder what this means for L3, uh, or does it mean anything? Maybe they'll cast a cold eye on the old man's, um, goals recently for LA galaxy. I don't know. I, w- I would not be ready to say that this isn't sustainable. I don't know that I would say that. I, I believe yeah, you know, I, I was. I'll say it. I, I was high on this move when they made it. But um, I mean, yeah, but that's you. N- what, what does that mean? You love the big, glossy, jazzy. That's not true. Move. That, you in, in MLS, them. that is not true. Yes, you do. You love them. But uh, I don't know. I felt like his. I don't know. I just. I just thought it would work. I, I don't really know what else to say about it. So I would tend to believe that if I was going to assign an aberration. Would I say that him scoring goals early this season is an aberration or him not scoring at all last season was? I would t- I'm going to tend to say that what happened last season is more of an aberration. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, I, one more here okay. for me, staying in Los Angeles. Um, this might be kind of a weird one, but I, I went with it being a, a nice draw for LAFC. And I know that when they're at home, uh, you know, and, you know, this era of them, like that's not a thing that you would expect to say nice draw in a home game, but you know, against Seattle, the Sounders are excellent uh, and facing Seattle without Carlos Vela, without Diego Rossi, it's not an easy proposition. Of course. Yes. Seattle was without Nico Ladero, but in this, I mean, LFC, they clearly looked like the better team. So I think it's an encouraging sign moving forward. It gives players like Corey Baird and Atuesta who scored the goal for them early, gives them added confidence that, you know, even without the two talisman, um, you know, they can still do the things that LAFC want to do. Uh, so it was, you know, in terms of draws, I would say that to get a 1-1 um, and probably maybe feel aggrieved that they didn't win it, I would say that LAFC can take something from that. Yeah, I got one more. Um, I'll save FC Cincinnati for next week, although I will say it, this is one of the earlier apologize to the fan scenarios. You had Jurgen Lacadia. I want to apologize for today's performance. Even though I didn't start in the first 11, I only played 30 minutes. I still feel responsible. <laughs> Talk about a qualified responsibility. Like he said this on his Instagram on Saturday. They got they got wellied 5-0 by NYCFC. I just want to say also that is among the worst apologies I've ever heard. To a to a let's let's be honest. He's he's trying to play both sides. He's he's trying to be the good guy to the fans yeah. and he's trying to absolve himself of all responsibility. I want that. to apologize for today's performance even though I didn't start in the first 11. I only played 30 minutes. I still feel responsible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
And he, he does go on. The whole team should feel responsible. And not only the players, the whole staff should feel responsible for today's Especially loss. everyone else. Not me. Again, you, I only you play who, 30 minutes. Yeah, I just wanted to say to the fans, don't blame one or two players if the one or two players are me. The whole squad <laughs> is responsible for today's loss, except me. I'm kind of responsible. But, but remember, not really. not really. I'm also fronting up for something I only had 30 minutes involvement with. Please, treat me fairly. But also, know that I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, in Apologies 101, this is like, is he serious? That, yeah. What, what a, that's a he finishes his performance fu- though, from, from that team. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. Every set piece was a goal for NYCFC. Um, I'll, I'll give you the final line. I, you I think mean, Alexi no, Lalas was just like undressing as he was watching that? The joy he must have been feeling. I mean, for, any, for a guy who's just like made a career out of preaching set pieces. Oh, Alexi Lalas was in ecstasy. Um <laughs> Uh, is that it yeah, for you he, for MLS? Yeah, no, hang on a second. Um, right. I, I got one more sentence from Jurgen Lacadia. We all make mistakes, and today we all made mistakes. Okay. Is this real, or are you continuing yeah, to yeah, make yeah. up new? Okay, it was an Instagram story. Um, so David Ochoa is the final thing I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the won't somebody please think of the children moment. So, uh, <laughs> RSL they beat Minnesota, and Ochoa and full time boots the ball into the stands apparently at the so-called wonder wall yeah. end. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Adrian Heath was very upset about this. And, and I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact he was beaten you know, at home. It, you know, definitely Ochoa is what's doing it. Uh, he was a bit calmer in his post-match press conference, but he still brought the heat, according to MLSsoccer.com, uh, when he was asked about Ochoa's action. There's no need. They've won the game. He doesn't need to be blasting the ball into supporters. Everybody knows that's a no-no. And normally, when you use them antics like he's done most of the evening, you're normally pretty good. So that was a surprise to me. Ooh, saucer and milk to table too. One thing, he didn't boot the ball or blast the ball into the supporters. He, he kicked it from the edge of the 18 yard. Like he, he punted it in, right? And what, what was the sound that we heard from the Wonder Wong? Clang as the ball hit some like aluminium. I know, but that's besides the point. He didn't. The, the no-no, and I've seen it like happen, where it's where you're running towards the sideline, the ball is out, and you just slam it into supporters. You like welly it into supporters. I mean, that, that has happened um, in the past, out of frustration. But this was like a gentle, not a gentle punt, a punt into the stands. I know, so, but, but it's not about the velocity of it. But it's what, just the fact that he did it at all oh, is what's causing... Don't respect the wonder wall. Well, here, here's the only thing that I would say on Ochoa's behalf, and I know players need to rise above, um, but depending on, like, everyone can decide what they want to believe uh, that they read on Twitter or message boards or whatever, but there are some reports of, like, some pretty awful things being said to him from right. coming from that wall throughout the course of the game. Um there was one report that it was even like even some other Minnesota United FC fans were uncomfortable with some of the things that were being said. So again, okay, I'm just reading. This is just like random stuff that like you you see pop up on Twitter and places like that. So who knows what's true and what's not? Well, um, the goal. If he's that the... were to be true, it would make a little bit more sense, and that maybe he wouldn't have just done it for no reason. Um, but I'm think I don't know. It... it it made I, I will say I was a little bit surprised with the waves. It was the biggest story in MLS over the weekend. Like it was the only thing that it seemed like people wanted to be talking about, um, which I thought was maybe it was interesting, but 
I don't know. I, I thought it was a little bit of a, to me, a little bit of a nothing burger. And, and nothing burger. And there was a ton of hold me back bro going on as well. So um, yeah, Love that was me. Kinds of fights. Yeah, that was me in MLS anyway this weekend. Uh, let's take a very quick break, JJ. When we come back, we're going to, uh, I guess, there's still a little bit more to discuss from what was one of the most ridiculous weeks in the history of the sport. Um, so we, we do want to talk a little bit more about the, the Super League fallout. We have a message board as well, and then we'll close it out uh, with that. Uh, don't go anywhere. Still a lot to do. Well, it appears this proposal of a European Super League, which poses an existential threat to football as we know it, is going ahead. You know, I can only say my personal opinion. I don't like it, and hopefully it doesn't happen. It's an absolute disgrace, and honestly, we have to wrestle back the power in this country from the clubs at the top of this league, and that includes my club. And I've been calling for 12 months as part of another group for an independent regulator to bring checks and balances in place to stop this happening. It's pure greed. They're imposters. They can't decide just to take away that pyramid and create something else for more money from so-called fans in other corners of the world. It's our game, it's our pyramid. Please don't take it away. Please, fans everywhere, unite against it. I want to apologize to all the fan supporters of Liverpool Football Club for the disruption I caused over the past 48 hours. Over these 48 hours, you were very clear that it would not stand. We heard you. Oh, back now. What a week. God in heaven, what a week. This is what you'll get when you mess with us. The fans the are really taking the W on this. The Karma Police were the fans, and uh, they have meted out a lot of protest, annoyance, uh, and they've torn down the flimsiest league in the history of flimsy leagues. There's still, there's still things that I want to talk about from this. Um, you know, the, the conversation is switching a little bit. Obviously, last week it was, oh, my God, what is going on? Why is this happening? What will happen next? Now, there's two angles that I'm most curious about. The first one being the punishment angle. Um, something's going to happen. You know, we're talking about the race for the top four. Uh, who knows? Uh, it, will, the top, will this race for the top four in the Premier League or, or you know, in La Liga, Serie A, will, will it mean anything? Uh, will these teams be allowed to compete in European competition? I'm very curious, JJ, what to you would be an appropriate punishment? Because like I said, there is going to be one. Yeah. The way I feel right now, I don't think it should be a points. The, the points should be from from these clubs. And they've done nothing wrong. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, was sent out like a lamb to the slaughter. He was not consulted. The man that rebuilt Liverpool Football Club over the last few years was not consulted by John Henry at all. I mean, maybe that's the way billionaires work. It is the way billionaires work. Neither was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So why should they? Why should those two clubs suffer punitive um, repercussions? You know that will affect the season, the materially affect the football on the field. I think there should be massive fines. 
like massive fines implemented and those funds redistributed amongst the the other clubs. Let's start. If, that, if that's a punishment, if that is the punishment, that yes. is, it's it, it's what we've come to find out here. We've been talking on and on and on about billionaires this, billionaires that. If the punishment is a fine, it's too limp. It does nothing to deter something like this from happening again. It has well, to be harsher. I, well, I'm Premier sorry to say that one one of my club is involved. And it could be more crippling to them than some of these other Premier League clubs. So, But it, it, it has to be harsher. Premier League rule L9 has, is, the, is the rule that's been broken in terms of, of the Premier League. And, um, you know, I, I, can't, I, can't see, I can't see anything happening outside because the teams were so, like, the teams are kind of divorced from this. This was the action of, of 12 extremely rich football directors um not the teams and i think that will be recognized um you may say a fine is too limp but if you look at the state of real madrid right now and the state of barcelona that's going to hit them extremely hard if it's a if it's a big fine <laughs> transfer ban mm. you're banned from european competition i mean you're saying no points deduction so i assume you would i mean I, you no see the, the, the punishment to me is not the punishment to me is not the interesting aspect. What I'd like now is for Alexander Seferin to pull off, take away what was agreed amongst all the clubs for the Champions League going from 2024 or, or whenever these new rules come in with the Swiss model. Take that off the table now. That's gone. That's what I'd like to see happen. Because that 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 is is it's not as disastrous as as a um as a super league, but it has certain elements. No, it's, like, it's bad. It's certainly it's bad. bad. And by That's the way, play, I, this is another thing that players involved. Ilkay Gundogan spoke out on Twitter this week about being harshly, harshly against this new champions league format, hating it as yeah, a player, yeah. the increase in games when they said they're already, these guys are taxed to the limit as it is. Jurgen Klopp spoke about this as well, Andrew. He, 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 he said he echoed Gundogan's words and in his, uh, uh, pre-match comments before Newcastle they, they can't take anymore and and I really do think that now that the advantage is is amongst um, the established order in football now we'll say amongst UEFA in the Premier League that they should drive on now and 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 the real punishment for these clubs is now for for their ideas because they're the ones that really every single incremental change we've seen to the Champions League or to European football over the past 20 years has been pushed by these big clubs wanting more slices of revenue. So now's the chance to take this toy away from them. They're not getting their new Champions League. Well, I'm just saying now, if the punishment is just a fine, then I, to me, that will ring that will ring hollow. I okay. don't think I don't necessarily think that that will be enough. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I think. I would probably say a European ban, I think, makes the most sense to me um, or a transfer ban, something. But I think there has to be some something more material than than just simply finding guys who are billionaires. Well, it depends what what how Seferin feels and the mood of the when the dust truly settles. What the mood is for 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 this, or whether they want to just keep going, Andrew, and and kind of try and put this behind them. There, because there are there are you know the hornet's nest has been rattled. Is it better to let things settle down? Like like Florentino Perez, I mean, he's hanging on to this idea like like a dog with a bone. 
Um, so I don't know what Seferin's plan is or, or, or how he sees he can can these waters, but um, I'm not so sure it's going to be as punitive as you want. Well, it, it's going to be hard for him because of how personally he took this, uh, which is understandable. But look but... at the way he welcomed Manchester City back to the European football family. You know, there was a, there was a sense of not appeasement, uh, but a sense of, you know, trying to be convivial again. So I don't know. Well, that is the other part of this that's interesting to me is how this changes things moving forward. Um, and Rory Smith had a good article in the New York Times this week where he says the Super League was wrong on almost every level, but though its architects never quite had the nerve to come out and say it, they did get one thing right. Soccer's economy and ecosystem, as they stand, do not work. Um, you know, because it's funny, JJ, that like the Super League, the shrapnel of of this Super League was just like thrown in, in all directions. And one of the most prominent directions was towards American sports. I mean, this kind of like, this cast a fairly negative light over not just American ownership, but the American model of sports and competition. And it like, yeah. it is true. The, the lack of a relegation model, there are flaws. There are a hundred percent flaws in American sports. But the one thing that was papered over that was not mentioned during this is that I think what UEFA and maybe even, I don't know, some of these clubs, this group of 12, we can have conversations about how each of them feel about this topic in particular, but, you know, this idea of parity and whether or not, you know, some sort of parity, some sort of parity incentive system, whether that be, you know, like American sports salary caps, uh, draft systems that favor the, the lesser teams in the NFL. Equal redistribution of wealth. Yeah, revenue sharing in baseball. In the NFL, imbalanced schedules where, you know, the worse you are, the worst teams you get to play next season. Um, you know, everything uh, in American sports, most elements of the games are tilted towards trying to make it as level a playing field as possible. That is not a model that exists right now in European soccer. And I think a light has been, been shined on that, has shown on that here. And I wonder if that's something that in this moment where like, it feels like the moment is now for change to occur. Um, and I wonder if that is something that they will push harder for to try and achieve some sort of, I don't know if a salary cap of any kind will ever be an attainable um, element of European soccer, but I wonder if that's something that they would like to see uh, occur because I don't know if financial fair play is, is quite doing the job that they hoped it would do in terms of keeping spending in check. No. Um, I mean, the, the first change I would like to see is something that uh, Tarek Panja mentioned to us last week. It's an opportunity for legislation to protect clubs as cultural assets of a community that can't be moved or removed from domestic leagues or taken away from the supporters by owners. The state should recognize them as unique and bear some responsibility for safeguarding them. Um, Spirit of Shankly at Liverpool are, 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 want, are demanding, not demanding, but they're talking about having supporters on the board of clubs. You know, supporters were not, despite what we just heard from John Henry there, we hear you. You didn't even, you heard afterwards. Mm -hmm. You heard after you've gone ahead, John, with another harebrained scheme that's, and, and you've got shut down again. I mean, it's not the first time. So maybe having um, supporters, like with an active role on these boards. I, I mean, look, billionaires don't want to hear from the, from the normal guy in the terraces, but maybe now after this week, they'll have to. But will they ever really though? I mean, would it just be, would it actually be 
like, uh, would it be taken seriously or would it just be kind of for show? Yeah. I mean, I just don't know that these guys, I, again, I just keep coming back to this, but I just don't know that they care. Yeah. I think if, if, if John Henry had to face 50 members of an appointed Liverpool supporters board at the end of every month in the back of a pub, you know, bit of accountability and he was questioned for an hour while these guys drink you know <laughs> i think it, i think that would solve a lot of problems yeah i'd like to think that that's possible um but i don't know i just think that they would kind of grin and bear it they would yes him to death and then i think i think they kind of go on their merry way and do is, the things is 50- that they want to do is, is 50, well, then in, in the same vein, is 50 plus one totally fanciful? I mean, how can that happen at this stage? Like, I don't know. That's institutional within the Bundesliga. I don't know how ownership can be forced to, to give up shares of a club um, against their will. I, I don't know, unless that's the punishment. Um, but I would think that there would be lawyers for something like that. Yeah. Um, we're talking about you know financial sums in the billions, changing hands uh, potentially. So I, I don't, I don't know that the premier, the premier league has taken us so far down this road um, that you're right. It's, it's difficult to make an about turn, but I think we have to try and the supporters are in the mood for change. Andrew, they are the, the thing that's interesting just to go to backtrack for one second before we get to the mailbag in terms of like a salary cap or something like that to, to level the playing field. It's one of the things that stood out to me among this group of 12 teams, because like Rory Smith in his article in The Times, which is it's really worth reading. He talks about how even within this 12, there's kind of three distinct groups, Um, one of which is the money means nothing to us group of Chelsea and Manchester City, who have this ownership that like their money just goes on to infinity. Like they don't really they don't really care. Like you've talked about, they're motivated differently they're motivated by you know their cultural impact that they can make or you know the way that they can try to bring the world into like seeing them differently and and their Mm. countries differently um so for them that's the motivation like money they'll just buy players forever and they've driven up costs significantly of what players cost and so like if you're talking about real madrid or barcelona juventus some of these clubs i think that they would like they would welcome some sort of salary cap that leveled the playing field in some way, because they're being forced to pay sums of money for, you know, Eden Hazard in his late twenties, but they can't afford, but they Uh, feel they they feel that they have no choice if they want to remain competitive. But that's the, that's the thing. Who's forcing them to go and pay 129 million for a 28 year old. Well, nobody's doing that. Nobody, nobody is, but they, but they'll be fired. They'll lose their jobs. They've set up this, this, that's the problem though. They've set up this model at the top. They're, they're, you're right. They're trying to, it's an arms race to try and arm them against. They can't do what Chelsea and Real Madrid and even to an extent Manchester United are are doing, but they're trying to, they're trying to, and that's the problem. But I'm saying Real Madrid can't do it, but they're trying, but they're doing it anyway. Like that, they're financially, they're in a bad place. Barcelona, you know, the clubs, these gigantic clubs financially are in bad places because they're, they're trying to keep up with Chelsea and Manchester City. Maybe Chelsea, not quite as much recently, but certainly Manchester City, PSG. What do you mean recently? They spent them. 200 million in a yeah, That's true. Summer. You're right. This past summer, yes. Yeah. They, they went back you, to those no, free spending ways. You're right. It, but is the salary cap the way to do it? Maybe it is, but, but it can't go on. You're right. It can't go on like this. 
because, um, I mean, Barcelona. Well, you just wonder if Barcelona, like, if they've just kind of decided to move away from their roots, La Masia, you know, raising their own, you know, bringing players through themselves. Have, have they abandoned that? Well, I'll be able to tell you after I read Simon Cooper's fascinating <laughs> new book. Oh, man. I still find this, I don't know, I, the Super League, as much as I hated it, I still find it a, a very interesting topic because stuff is, things are going to change. Um, we're, in that, we're in that moment right now. Before we get off this, this topic uh, for now, uh, my favorite banner amongst the many, many banners at the protests outside Old Trafford and outside the Emirates is from the Emirates. This is an actual sign. I'm going to read it to you. Seriously, Cronky, mate, no joking. Please just sell Arsenal. Premier League not suited to you, pal. You're crap. No hard feelings. Just not worked out. <laughs> and a reason with him? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it's like a kind way of saying it. Seriously, mate, look, it's not happening. All right, just move on. All right. My favorite line, please just sell Arsenal Prem. You're not su- not suited to you. Like he's a life coach. Uh, uh, Mr. Cronkey, football's not suited to you. Oh, okay. I'll just sell. Thanks. <laughs> they don't care. The protests, it sent the right message, but they just, they don't care. They're willing I, to be hated. I, I, I think, uh, I, I, I'm curious. I'm curious how this develops. The fans aren't done. It's not. No, this is no. I hope not. not I over. hope not. All right. Mailbag, JJ. Yes. Uh, mailbag. Um, uh, Eddie Sanchez. Um, for the next episode, I really hope we get your opinion on Ray Parler versus Robbie Lyle from AFTV on Talk Sport. And we can have a listen to that right now, Andrew. This is this is pretty interesting. Robbie, what's your reaction when some certain fans say, uh, and I'm probably one of them, but Arsenal Fan TV, you want them to lose because you get more hits on your YouTube channel because what it is, all the other fans want to see Arsenal fans having a meltdown when they lose the game. What's this got to do with what we're talking about? This we're talking well, no, about. No, what are you saying? I mean, we're, we're, we're a fan base, I want my... and I, I look at I look at Arsenal fan TV and say sometimes you're in quite an embarrassment to look at it as an Arsenal fan. I want Arsenal to win every single game. I think sometimes you I... look at it and say, well, if they lose, we're going to get more hits this week. We we're going to make more money. Ray, with all due respect, you're chatting rubbish. I want my team oh. to win absolutely every game. So not for the first time, we've. Uh... We've ended up talking about AFTV and Ray Parler's made a point that has been made on this podcast in the past that AFTV like it when Arsenal lose because it generates more interest from other fans and larger fan bases and therefore is just like a click machine. Um, so Arsenal being bad is good for business is Ray Parler's point. Uh, Robbie Lyle says that's not true. We love Arsenal. We want them to win. Um, the interesting thing for me from this is that I think they're both right. Um, and you know, but Robbie, Robbie can't say that (laughs) like some of the videos, Andrew, they get millions of hits. Mm -hmm. That's not all Arsenal fans. That's me and you having a laugh. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's more nuance here than just like, I mean, what is Ray Parler trying to say? That secretly Robbie of Arsenal Fan TV is rooting for Arsenal to lose? I mean, that's that's what he's saying. And to me, that's not fair. I think both things can be true, like you said. Like, for example, um, JJ, never again, never again would I want to relive 
the U.S. men's national team night against Trinidad. It was awful. It was the worst. Uh, I hated every second of it. I didn't want to even do that podcast. But I do think at some point during that, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, I bet a lot of people are going to listen to this. Yeah. Like, I think that that's normal. Like, I don't think that that means we're rooting for the U.S. to lose. No. And acknowledge that with defeat comes an increase in audience size without necessarily that meaning that you want your teams to lose. So I think that's probably the case for Robbie. I think he, he, you know, not to speak for him, but like, I'm sure he wants Arsenal to win. Um, but he can acknowledge, I'm sure, that with their frustrations comes an increase in audience size. I think those two things can exist hand in hand. I don't know. For me personally, when my teams are are terrible, are losing, are frustrating me, um, I kind of am, am more someone who likes to remove myself from it and like refocus my mind elsewhere because it just makes me angry. Like right. when when Tottenham are great and just like flying week after week, like that's when I'm most likely to just consume content like an animal. Um, it's when they're awful and and. and frustrating the hell out of me week in week out that I'm just kind of like, no, I need something else right right now. So I don't know. That's just me. Uh, But like you said, a lot of this attention when Arsenal lose isn't coming from Arsenal fans. So no, maybe that theory doesn't apply. I also would, I would say as well that, um, you know, this is entertainment and people find AFTV entertaining. Um, Sometimes I think it's, it's a little bit like what I said before, performative, Guys getting upset over things they may not necessarily get set, upset over. By the way, the alternative to these fan sites is what? Just like state-run media from clubs? I mean, clubs are already doing a or, lot. Or, you know, Sky Sports. Um, you know, if they can, it, not, not just the clubs' websites. If they can offer a voice to fans, I think they're, they're doing a, a service. But I will admit, like, some of it is way over the top. And, um, you know, I think I, think I see both opinions and the merits in both there. Hassan, finally. Please can you discuss, if possible, why Chris Powell was overlooked for the interim manager ma- managerial role at Spurs and why someone as inexperienced as Ryan Mason has been given the job? Uh, I mean, it's a valid question, but to me, it's obvious. I don't think Tottenham were looking to make any move here based on credentials. Like, I, I don't think... I don't no. think experience was a, was a factor here, obviously. They obviously wanted someone that, A would have instant chemistry with that dressing room because obviously that that had clearly fallen out with the previous manager. I think they wanted to change that and uplift the squad emotionally. And I think they wanted someone who would rally the fan base. And, you know, Ryan Mason, his story, I mean, even though in terms of actual senior appearances with the club, it's very few, um, but the fan base just fell in love with him. His story of how he fought in the youth leagues, how to, to get to that point, how he's a lifelong fan of the club, how he put his heart and soul into the club, you know, and, and he's continued to be a supporter of them afterwards in the media. Um, so they, he'd win the fans over instantly. Um, you know, I think, I think Tottenham, Daniel Levy, I think they just wanted a distraction from the right. ugliness of this season and the ugliness of this week specifically with the super league. So I'm, you know, Mason. Ryan Ma- Sorry, Andrew, to cut across you, but Ryan yeah. Mason was with the, working with the 23s. He was the closest mm-hmm. to the first team, so it kind of made sense, whereas Chris Powell was over the academy, I think. Yeah, but I mean, look, Chris Powell, has he has more experience as a player and as a manager. He's also working in the national team set up under Gareth Southgate. So it wouldn't have been a it wouldn't have necessarily been like a weird choice, maybe a little bit. Um 
but like I, again i don't i just don't think tottenham i don't think that stuff mattered in this moment i think it was more of like an, an emotional appointment as much as it was a practical one and i think mason and spurs they just were kind of like perfect partners in this like mason clearly fit the bill of what tottenham were looking for and this is an opportunity for mason he knows he's not going to get the full-time job when it when the season is over it's going to go to somebody with more experience but if he does a good job here if tottenham have a nice little run to end the season it puts him on the map it accelerates his chances of becoming a, a first team coach somewhere else so it, you know, it is what it is. Like, I know that is an annoying cliche line, but I think that like, don't, don't dig too deep here. I think what's on the surface is what is what this was all about. Just a feel good appointment. I think that's what they wanted. Before we get out, Andrew, um, it's worth mentioning this, uh, the coalition of English football's largest governing bodies and organizations, including the FA premier league and EFL will go silent on social media next weekend in a show of solidarity against racism. The FA Women's Super League, FA Women's Championship, Professional Footballers Association, LMA, PGMOL, Kick It Out, Women in Football, and the Football Supporters Association will also suspend all use of their social media accounts from 3 p.m. on Friday, April 30th until 11.59 p.m. on Monday, May the 3rd. So that is a response to the weekly uh, racial abuse of uh, players and figures within the game online and on social media it's something doesn't feel like very much but then again i don't i don't know what the appropriate response is to Mm. bring light to this issue i I think this issue is people are certainly aware of it Uh, if this is a a sign of protest all right i'm glad they're doing something but yeah it's going to take more unfortunately uh that's about all i got my friend all right sir uh we've got the Champions League starting this week, uh, the semi-final first legs. So that's something. Yep. Do you know how, do you know how exi- excited Zinedine Zidane is? No, tell me. Unbelievable. This is the most difficult and important game as it is the next one. We will take it like a semi-final of the Champions League. We are preparing well and want to compete, which is most important for us. Woo-wee, bringing the fire, Zizou. I mean, the- uh, we will take it like a semi-final of the Champions League. We are preparing well and want to compete. This guy, by the way, if we ever are offered an interview with Zidane, I will turn it down. We will get blood from a stone. He is, he, he just is the, the expert at saying nothing. And obviously then tomorrow, PSG versus Man City, uh, tomorrow being Wednesday, uh, whenever you listen to this podcast, uh, expect PSG fans to be keeping everything crossed on Kylian Mbappe's fitness. Mm-hmm. He limped off against Mets at the weekend. Pochettino says he's okay and should be ready for Wednesday. 19 goals in his past 14 games for PSG. It should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. PSG are conquering heroes, JJ. We are with you. That's about all I got, my friend. We'll be back next week with Speak another edition of Caught Offside. And by the way, Zinedine, if you do want to come on this podcast, I'll conduct the interview solo. Don't worry about JJ. It'll- and in French. And in French. Absolutely. We, oui, I believe, is uh, what I would say to that. Uh, hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 